An open field. Trees line the backside and all the way around. One would think this current day is any normal, pleasant day, but it's not. Not after the events of the blast some years ago. A single deer wanders into the field from the trees, searching for fresh grass. It continues, searching, and searching for anything green. It's met with nothing but brown and decayed, nothing fresh. The deer picks its head up. A bullet zips by and plucks the deer, sending it to the ground. It bleeds out. Soon after, Sarah, an eager, confident teen dressed in raggedy, worn clothes, runs to the deer and examines it. John, 40s, her worn-down, scruffy, tired dad, follows. You did pretty good, kid. Chest cavity is right on the other side. You'll knock him down every time if you hit him in the shoulder. Anything in the back and they'll take off. You'll have to be quick with that second shot. Only pretty good? Yeah, I, I killed it. Yeah, I suppose that's true. What I think is true is that that's a better shot than you could land. <laughs> My eyesight ain't worth the shit anymore. You can do all the hunting from now on. A single gunshot zips past John and Sarah. They hop up and reach for their weapons. Two scavengers, dirty, as if they've lived in the woods their whole lives, approach from the woods, yelling. Don't think about it. Drop it. John and Sarah lower their weapons. The scavengers get closer. Hold on. We don't want any trouble now. Take the deer. It's a fresh kill. We'll take the deer. And we'll take her too. There's no need for that. Just take the kill and move on. She's all I've got. I think we'll take both. And your weapons. You find another. Sarah looks to John. I'll figure it out. Look, listen, you can't go with these guys. I'm going to reach for my gun, dive behind the deer on my signal. Just follow from a distance. Cut that shit out now or his leg is coming off. Okay, okay. I'm going to reach for the deer. Don't shoot. You turn around, you hear? Hands behind your head. Fine. He turns around, his back facing the scavengers, and locks his hands atop his head. Sarah hugs him. I'll be fine. I love you. I love you, Sarah. Enough. Let's go. She uses all the strength she has and throws the deer over her shoulders. The gun too, girl. I've got a 70-pound deer on my back. I can't get both. One of the scavengers marches over and grabs both guns. He smacks John in the back of the leg, sending him to his knees. Sarah heads to the woods with the two scavengers. She looks behind her to see her dad, helpless. John can't do anything but look at her, wandering away. Ahead, woman. He'll be dead in a couple days. Don't worry about him. Once they disappear into the woods, John advances towards them, limping from the blow. John advances, navigating through the trees, trying to keep an eye on his daughter. He can hardly see her now. He rubs his right ear. A log the size of a baseball bat catches his eye on the ground nearby. He grabs it. The two scavengers and Sarah march on. She's getting tired and sluggish from the weight of the deer, but they are relentless, following behind her. Don't get tired on us. We got a ways to go till the next town. How far? About six miles. Better toughen up. I, I can't carry your dinner for six miles. Just, just cuff me and take it. We ain't getting there tonight. We're stopping at dusk and you'll prepare it. You think so? We fucking know so. Cut the sassing. She adjusts the deer with her shoulders and sighs. After a little while longer of walking, she comes to a dead stop. Exhausted from the journey, she dumps the deer behind her and falls to her knees. One of them steps in front of her. 
He slaps her across the cheek. Nothing light. Up, right now. The slap knocks her over. The other one approaches. I gotta take a leak. Let her sit for a second. Don't fucking try anything. She holds her cheek. He kneels to her level and lifts her chin up with two fingers. You hear me, girl? Yes, I fucking hear you. She kneels in exhaustion. She looks around, examining her surroundings. No one in sight. No John. Just the never-ending trees. They zip up and prepare to travel again. John continues in the direction of the group. He sees something ahead. Light in the short distance. A campfire. He approaches it and hides behind a thick tree. The group has settled for the night. Sarah tends to the deer, roasting above the campfire. She slices off a few pieces for the scavengers and hands it to them. She slices off a piece for herself and sits across them. They all eat in silence. She lifts her head to see something moving in the distance, behind the scavengers. As the person moves closer, she sees... It's John. She looks back down and tries to remain calm. While they continue to eat, she reaches for her dad's weapon, going unnoticed. John creeps within striking distance. A branch snaps beneath his feet. The two scavengers turn around toward the sound. John breaks the log over one of their heads, sending him to the ground. Sarah clutches the gun, cocks it, and fires at the other, puncturing his chest. She quickly cocks it again and fires at the one John hit, guaranteeing his death. John drops the log and rushes to Sarah, holding her tightly. I'm so sorry, Sarah. I'm okay. I'm okay. Did they hit you? Yeah, but I I think they got it worse. Look, it won't happen again. I just didn't notice them in the trees. Should we search through the old house rubble and find your glasses? (laughs) (laughs) Fuck off. (laughs) Let's just stay here for the night. Dinner's already cooked. He sits, exhausted from his journey. She slices a piece of deer for him. He eats. The fire provides some warmth. So, what's the plan tomorrow? John pulls out a map from his bag. He opens it, examining the wrinkled, worn pages. There should be a town about three miles east. We'll search it in the morning. Getting low on water and ammo. Even after what they have, I wouldn't have even wasted that first shot on us. That's where they were heading. Do you think it's still there? What? The town. Do you think it's still there? Well, it seems far enough out from the drop zones. The ash shouldn't have blown this far. You think they're sick? I don't know. Just be prepared for anything. No telling what we'll see out there. She rolls out her sleeping bag next to the fire, getting as comfortable for the night as she can. Night, Dad. Good night, kid. He gently massages his forehead, then rests his head on his folded arms atop his knees. A younger Sarah runs around the house, hyper, as any kid would be. Natalie, anxious and attention, watches the news. Sarah, go check on your sister. Jeez. The news anchor, Anne, gives an update on what's happening around the world and what could come. A guest, Leah, appears from the development site. Now we bring you the newest developments in Pyongyang. Threats continue to surface like we've never heard before, which many fear could lead to a nuclear world war. We bring in Leah now, live from North Korea. Leah, can you hear us? Yes, yes, I can hear you. Can you fill us in on what you're seeing? There's traffic constantly, but no one has been able to get word on who's coming and going. Massive trucks have left, but everything they were towing was covered in tarps or in steel cages. No one knows what's in those trucks? There's rumors, the worst possible things they could be moving and preparing, but no official word. They're banning everyone from being within half a mile from the gates. Thanks, Leah. Stay safe. You too, Anne. 
Things have certainly been tense in the states as of late, but we don't have any word on why. Construction looks to be nearing completion on several dome-shaped structures in numerous states, but nothing is coming from the Capitol. Many fear danger is looming, and we just advise you to be prepared. John rushes in the front door with his briefcase and drops it. Natalie hops up from the couch. Why did they need you for so long today? They're telling everyone to be prepared. He looks at the TV, then back to her. Something's coming. John bursts through the door of an abandoned building. Sarah peeks from behind him with her gun drawn. They slowly enter the building, trying not to make a sound. I think it's clear. They lower their weapons and begin searching. They stuff their bags with the few cans they find in cabinets and on top of the tables. Jesus Christ! What is it? Sarah turns to find a corpse lying on the ground in a corner. I'm sorry. They just surprised me. The corpse oozes a substance. It's clear, gooey, thick. Easy to miss if you weren't carefully looking for it. The bodies of the sick are battered and bruised. They are near purple in color. Bones seem to want to pierce through the skin to be revealed. I must have consumed him alive. Haven't been there for long. I... I thought we were too far away from a drop zone. The gas spreads for miles. They knew it would reach almost everyone even if people were 100 miles out. I figured we were still too far. Just watch for puddles and don't step in it. They gather the last can available. Next floor? They move upstairs and repeat their particular process for the next five floors, carefully and skillfully navigating each room. Sarah notices dice laying on a nearby table. She stuffs them in her pocket. They don't find any other supplies here. The building was scarce, as they are beginning to be. Floor 5. The last one before the roof. They climb the stairs and reach the door. They stop just before entering. Movement. Walking, stomping, grunting. Someone or a few people are inside. Sarah lies down, peeking under the door. She sees something. A few feet move around, slowly, then quickly, and again. The substance falls from their bodies, dripping to the floor. She gets up. There's three, maybe four of them. They're all sick. I'm going to slowly open the door. Stay silent and wait for my signal. John slowly cracks the door open. The sick don't notice them. He opens it a little more, and a little more, and a little more. He moves into the room and Sarah moves in behind him. Three sick move around the room, grunting. They draw their weapons. We see a can in Sarah's backpack become unstable. One of the sick sniffs the air. John holds his breath and pauses. The can edges closer to the opening of the backpack. The can falls out of Sarah's bag, dropping to the hardwood floor. The sick start yelling and screaming and rush toward the pair. John and Sarah open fire. Two fall to the ground, but one only gets clipped and rushes to Sarah. John shoots it down just before it reaches her. She didn't get bit or scratched, but the substance reached her arm. She looks at it. John notices. He reaches into his bag for cleaning solution and a sponge. Give me your arm. He scrubs her arm clean of the substance, then quickly tosses the sponge. It wasn't on you long enough. You'll be fine. Shaken up, Sarah slowly catches her breath. She searches the room as John reloads their weapons. She doesn't find anything. The sick consumed it all. They climb the stairs to get to the roof. They make it to the top. Finally, a place to gather themselves for a second and catch their breath. They walk to the ledge overlooking the town, scavenged and decayed. This town wasn't in the blast zone, but the effects have been felt here. All that remains is merely a ghost town. John looks around to the buildings, to the lake at the edge of town. This was your mother and I's favorite place to go when we needed to get away. He points to the restaurant down the street. Sarah just listens, cherishing the story of her mom, giving him a slight smile. 
We'd grab a bite from Freddy's. The food was okay. <laughs> but she loved their chocolate cake. We never shared. We had to order our own piece each time we went, she told me. A piece of chocolate cake is placed on John and Natalie's table as they have dinner together. She takes a bite. Look, I know we're a couple and supposed to share stuff, but this is the best fucking piece of cake I've ever had, so you're going to need to get your own. (laughs) So it's going to be like that, huh? (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be. He signals to the waiter. There were benches right on the water close enough so you could put your feet in. What? What did you guys talk about? You know, that was the best thing about her. She could talk forever about anything. We always would. I... I miss her a lot. Yeah, me too, kid. Every single day. We should probably get going. It'll be getting dark soon. Yeah, good call. They pick up their weapons. He touches her shoulder and smirks at her. She returns the smile. They move on from the memory. They exit the building, making their way to a boarded house down the street on the outside of town. They walk by the buildings, all vacant, deserted, or boarded up. The remains of the sick lie dead in the streets, puddles of substance lying next to them. Sarah breaks the glass protecting the pharmacy. John climbs over the counter and grabs a few pill bottles that haven't quite reached their expiration date, and sponges. Sarah grabs two candy bars on the way out. They approached the boarded house they saw from the top of the building they searched. The door, windows, and back door are all covered. After walking the perimeter, they meet at the front door. John knocks his rifle a few times on the front door and side windows. He rubs his ear to clear the ringing. They put their ears to the boards, listening for any movement. Not a sound. John pulls out his crowbar from his bag and begins removing a board from the side window. After removal, Sarah lifts the window and peeks inside. All clear. She climbs in and he follows her inside. They draw their weapons and slowly creep through the house. It hasn't been touched. No one seems to have been inside since the blast. Sarah enters the child's room, decorated as if it was a girl, maybe four years old or so. She looks at the photos of the family, an only child. John pulls the string to lower the attic steps. He covers his mouth from the stench coming from above. He pulls out his flashlight, scanning the room. He spots something. A skeleton. He pans the light, revealing two more. The family stayed behind. Empty cans and boxes fill the attic. Anything up there? He exits the attic and returns the stairs to the ceiling. Sarah approaches. Looks like the family stayed behind. They must have starved. Sarah hammers the board back into place where they broke in. John prepares dinner in the meantime. They eat in silence, exhausted from the day's journey. She pulls out the two candy bars from her bag and tosses him one. She smiles and he chuckles. You know I had to. They roll out their sleeping bags on the living room floor. Did you want to sleep in those beds in their bedrooms tonight? Um, I don't think I'd feel comfortable in them. If they weren't still in the house, I probably would. It just, it just doesn't feel right. Okay, kiddo. Night, Dad. Good night, kid. The family wanders into the local grocery store, stressed for time. They quickly grab a shopping cart and proceed. The checkout lines are packed, seeming to stretch for miles filled with panicked people. John, look at these fucking lines. We'll be in here for hours. We'll just have to be quick. They rush through the aisles, grabbing what they can, 
and checking items off their list in the process. What's left on the shelves is scarce. They come upon the bread aisle, passing signs that read, Two loaf limit per household. John paces to the two remaining loaves on the shelf when another man approaches quickly. He aggressively bumps John out of the way to grab the two loaves. Come on, asshole. You know you saw me coming down from the aisle. Should have got here first. Bother someone else. Look, be fair here, motherfucker. Give my family one loaf. Just one. That's all I'm asking. Fuck off. Just let him go. We'll find something else. He walks away from the commotion. The family rushes through the remaining aisles, gathering what they can from what's available on the shelves. They make their way to the checkout lines. They wait and wait and wait, slowly inching closer. Anna begins crying and John tends to her. Sarah sees something a few aisles down, so she sneaks away to go look. The game aisle. Focused on the people ahead, Natalie finally looks behind her where Sarah was standing, noticing she's gone. Sarah? Sarah! Sarah's gone. She was just standing right behind me. I'll stay with Anna and deal with the line. Go find her. Natalie rushes through the crowd, trying to find her daughter. John stays behind with the baby. Aisle after aisle, Natalie searches. So many people, so many faces, it's hard to see through. She reaches the game aisle, and there she is, all alone, looking at dice. No one else is concerned about entertainment at the moment. Natalie rushes to her. Mommy, look at these. Can we get them? Don't run away from us like that. You scared the fucking shit out of me. I'm sorry, Mom. It's fine. It's fine. Just grab them and let's go. Natalie and Sarah approach the line where John and Anna are. John sees them and signals. We're almost at the front. Hurry up. Natalie puts the dice in the packed cart. She was in the game aisle. Wanted new dice. Her and her damn dice. He sighs and kneels to Sarah's level. Look, you can't run away from us like that, girl. Look at how many people are in here. We're lucky we found you. I just wanted to make sure I had enough in case they run out. Let's just stick together, okay? You never know what could happen if we get separated. Sarah jumps up from her sleep. A nightmare. But it's morning now. John's already awake with food prepped for her. You okay, kiddo? Yeah, I'm... I'm fine. Uh, just... just a bad dream. I thought I'd let you sleep in a little. After you finish eating, we'll head out. Um, thank you. While she eats, John packs up the cooking supplies and the rest of his things. Sarah wanders into the parents' bedroom. Photos line the walls and corner tables. The happy family with their child in their arms. She sits at the vanity, her reflection in the mirror, worn, tired. The stress and agony has aged her a little quicker than most young teens. She opens the vanity drawers and cabinets. Lipstick, blush, mascara. A few things she hasn't seen or used in a long time. She applies it to her face, carefully, with shaking hands. Natalie applies makeup to Sarah at a younger age at her vanity. You don't want to put too much, and you have to blend it in or it won't look right. It'll look blotchy. Natalie blends Sarah's makeup for her. There we go. She reaches for the lipstick and begins to apply it to Sarah's lips, but hands it to her instead. You do this part. Sarah grins as she accepts the challenge. She slowly applies it, trying not to go over the line. Natalie watches her accidentally apply it above her lip. She grabs a makeup wipe and erases the extra. Look so beautiful. I look just like you. Go show daddy. Sarah happily gets up from the vanity seat and runs out of the room. Sarah runs into the living room and sits on John's lap. Natalie follows and watches from the door. Look at me. Mommy just showed me how to put makeup on and look like her. 
Well, you look pretty, hon. Sarah applies a full face. She examines her work in the mirror. You ready, Sarah? Coming! She wipes the makeup off with the nearby towel and walks back to John. What were you doing in there? Um, just playing with their old makeup. I haven't used any since mom. Why'd you take it off? You didn't have to do that. It's stupid. I I was just messing around. Go grab a few things. We don't we don't have a lot of room to carry it. I'll find room. Go take a few things. Okay, um, I'll, I'll be right back. She rushes back to the room and grabs everything she just used. She comes back and embarrassingly hands it all to John. He smirks and stuffs them into his bag. They wander and wander, passing through what seems to be an endless row of trees and dead grass. Nothing else. As they continue walking, they begin to hear birds chirp in the distance. John rubs his right ear. He can more clearly hear the light chirping. Do you hear that? Are are those birds? Well, it looks like we must be getting close to one. Those structures? It's gotta be. I never thought we'd find one. I don't know if any were finished. When we were uh, getting word that this war could happen, reports came out about those structures being built. But no locations were given. I mean, should should we head there? We might as well try to reach it. See if anyone is there and we'll take us in, because we're running thin here. And, uh, <laughs> their old man is wore out. Sarah pulls out her map and examines it, trying to figure out where the structure could be. How far do you think it is from here? Richmond is about 28, 29 miles west? Yeah, that's probably where it is then. We'll just follow the birds. I didn't realize I missed hearing that sound. It's, it's so calming. It's nice to hear, isn't it? It's a lot better than the silence. They continue their journey with a little hope, following the birds chirping. The old campsite hasn't been touched. The two dead scavengers lie still, until a pack of sick approach the camp. Too many to count. Their worn bodies wander to the men, sporadically screeching and clawing at the air. They begin to tear the men apart, consuming all parts and flesh. The ones who weren't lucky enough to make the quick feast continue in the path John and Sarah journey through. The others leave the remaining pieces of the scavengers behind and follow. John and Sarah approach a small pond on the right side of the road. A pier leads to the middle of the pond. They walk it all the way to the end. Their bags hit the wood and they stiffly remove their shoes. Their legs up to their knees enter the water, moving and swaying. She pulls out the pair of dice from her pocket and rolls them on the wood. You know, I I figured the days would drag and we would beg for them to be quicker, but I kind of wish we could slow them down a little bit. I mean, these sorts of moments. Time sure does fly when you're always on the run, I guess. I just don't know how far we'll have to travel until we reach a home. Those fuckers might not even be there. All we can do is try and try to enjoy things like this who knows it might be a fresh start for us john lifts his legs from the water and removes his sleeping bag rolling it out on the pier he wipes his legs with an old shirt sarah twirls the dice in the palm of her hand and then stuffs them in her pocket night kiddo i think we'll be fine out here tonight night dad she lies on her sleeping bag next to his she lifts her sleeve the same sleeve of the arm that the substance touched. Her sleeve somewhat sticks to her arm, but she's able to peel it off, revealing the skin. Purple and blue in color, it's becoming infected. She reaches to touch it, but hesitates, and covers it back up. She looks at John, then lies down and shuts her eyes. 
The two sleep under the night sky. It's quiet outside. So quiet. In fact, one could hear. Rustling. Leaves on the ground move, getting stepped on. Someone, or a few people perhaps. The woods leading to the pier are dark. Other than the pier itself, with the help of a full moon. Sarah and John lie asleep. The rustling doesn't wake them. Two people approach the pier. Could be a parent and teenager by the looks of their sizes. They have weapons, which are drawn toward the sleeping father and daughter. The old wooden panels of the pier creak beneath their feet as they creep closer. Sarah hears the last creak and pops up from sleeping. John feels it and jolts up. The woman and teenage girl halt, with their weapons frozen on the newly woken. The Day Everything Changed Created and written by Lane Fortenberry Narrated by Jessica Packard Sarah, voiced by Jasmine Anderson John, voiced by Joseph Paz Tessa, voiced by Jillian Belrose Olivia, voiced by Eva Degal Alicia, voiced by Alyssa Hall Natalie and Anne, voiced by Allison Stanford. Sophia, voiced by Lucia McMahon. Scavenger One, Man One, and Guard, voiced by Danielle Kahn. Young Sarah, voiced by Marissa Nicole. Leah, Vanessa, and Doctor, voiced by Channing Miller. Scavenger Two, and Father, voiced by Chris Alello. Music, by Caleb Broussard and Michael Gay. <laughs>